Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to the Lung Cancer Voices podcast, and this is November 2020, and we have a special series of podcasts to align with the Faces of Lung Cancer report, which is the annual report that Lung Cancer Canada um, uh, publishes each year to highlight some important issues that are going on with lung cancer patients in our country uh, this year. And the Faces of Lung Cancer report is being issued on November the 9th. And you can see it on the Lung Cancer Canada website, lungcancercanada.ca. One of the issues that we discuss in the Faces of Lung Cancer report is, of course, the COVID-19 impact on lung cancer and lung cancer patients. That has been obviously the dominating issue for so many of us this year. And um, I'm inviting back to the podcast for his second appearance, Dr. Kevin Zhao, who is a medical oncologist in Montreal. And uh, you may recall he uh, was uh, um, gave some expert comment on the World Lung Cancer Conference last year. Um, but this year he has been particularly involved with COVID-19. And uh, so Kevin, really pleased that you can um, join the podcast again today. Thank you for the invitation. So we'll get right into it. Um, you're in Montreal and Montreal's been a hotspot for COVID. How did your work life change personally during the pandemic or is it still changing? So to give, uh, I guess, uh, some context, um, obviously Quebec uh, of all the provinces in the country is was the, the province and still is, uh, unfortunately, um, the, the epicenter of COVID in, in uh, in Canada and and Montreal has the unfortunate distinction of being the epicenter of Quebec. So that makes us pretty much the epicenter of Canada. And my hospital particularly is in the epicenter of Montreal in terms of COVID. So we were particularly affected uh, during the first wave. Um, And so one of the things that I I tend to uh, sort of allude to when we were dealing with COVID initially, it's like watching a a typhoon or a tsunami from a distance and then watching it and then watching it and then once it actually hits you actually uh, are, are, are lost in, in, the, in the storm of trying to get through all the uh, waves of things that are crashing um, left, right and center. So in terms of the work, we, when the first wave started to hit, we didn't actually know how it was going to affect us until it was too late. Uh, we thought we were going to um, put in measures that would avoid what was going to happen in, in Italy and in France. Um, but one thing that we didn't anticipate was the hospital acquired infections that started to run rampant in our hospitals and that dramatically um, affected our practice almost overnight. Uh, so while we initially our practice wasn't that uh, affected, once we started seeing the cases rise and our hospital was also a designated COVID center, which meant that we would accept patients from other hospitals in the region uh, who were COVID positive and needed to be hospitalized. Uh, our beds started to fill up rapidly. Uh, our uh, ability to protect ourselves with equipment was being compromised, which meant 
that our ability to see patients in clinics was compromised. So on a very uh, tangible level, uh, one of the things that changed dramatically was that we were asked uh, quite quickly to reduce the amount of patients we would see in clinic for uh, the sole reasons that we wanted to uh, keep distancing measures in place uh, to limit our uh, contacts with patients and to limit the patients who could potentially be COVID positive coming into uh, our clinic, especially since we had no idea how our patients would react with COVID. Um, so, so at that point, um, Kevin, did you stay as an oncologist in the cancer center part of the hospital or were you co-opted into the, the, to be a COVID doctor? So, Initially, when we, our center was a COVID-designated center, the expectation was that most patients would go to the ICU. They wouldn't really fill up our beds. So that uh, uh, the initial roles of the specialists in our hospitals was not necessarily that required during the first parts of the wave. But once we started really realizing that our, all of our beds were being filled up, and we had at one point had up to 140 patients hospitalized in our hospital, we had to have designated COVID wards manned by medical specialists for which each specialty, including oncologists, were asked to help out. Um, you had to at least have seven doctors uh, manning the wards every week. And this went on for about three or four months. Uh, so you can imagine that the turnover of doctors was quite high. Uh, and, and while we were very weary of participating, especially because our, of all the services in the hospitals that had to be maintained, oncology was a was, was deemed to be an essential right. service. Time critical, isn't it? it uh, yeah. If you need to have a hip replacement, maybe that could wait a couple of months, but not if you've got a new cancer diagnosis. So, so one of the things we've, we've been trying to make, you know, the governments and policymakers aware that cancer doesn't stop. You're, you're not going to uh, have less people with cancer or needing treatments just because COVID is there. Uh, so it was it was even stressful for us to be able to uh, try and manage both our obligations to the COVID ward and obligations to our patients, particularly with uh, with with the COVID. So Kevin, you're going then back and forth. It sounds like doing your your time being co-opted to do the COVID ward, but you still you've got your lung cancer practice. So what did you do to evolve? Uh, the lung cancer practice? Did, did you see less patients? Did you see them differently? Were you worried that you were going to drop the ball? So rapidly, uh, due to um, the fact that our, our hospital wasn't equipped to, you know, deal with a pandemic like COVID, um, respecting the distancing issues, we were asked to dramatically reduce the amount of patients we saw in person. In fact, we were asked to limit our um, the number of patients we could actually see in person to about two or three per day. The rest had to go to telemedicine, which was frankly a, a challenge and it was very new to us. Uh, we didn't have uh, the setups to be able to see patients that way, but we had to adapt. Um, so I would say that about 95% of, of my patients were done by telemedicine, um, the rest by in person. It had its advantages, it had its disadvantages. The advantages obviously were, were numerous. It, just, it decreased the stress of patients who also were feeling quite anxious. Um, they, they felt more at ease being followed at home um, by, by, by phone. Uh, it had its distinct disadvantages. Obviously there were patients who were very afraid of uh, not getting their treatments because of COVID. So sometimes they would 
minimize symptoms. Uh, they would minimize um, a lot of symptoms that mimic COVID, but could be due to lung cancer, which added a lot of uh, logistical and, and obviously uh, incredible amount of anxiety for both the patient and, and the healthcare right. providers. Uh, so it, it, that, that had both pros and cons to telemedicine. I would say that for the most part, most of my patients appreciated telemedicine. I do have a couple of instances where patients um, did not uh, really reveal the extent of some of the symptoms that, that they had due to their cancer uh, by phone. And, and it was only by chance that I would see them in the chemo wards uh, and realize just how sick they were, which, which yeah. made, led me to believe that telemedicine wasn't for every patient. Right. I think that's been my experience as well. And uh, I guess it leads on to my next question, which, which is related to the fact that I think we've been hearing a lot of reports now in my center and in many centers that um, some of our patients, when they do come to the hospital, are much sicker than they may have been because of um, you know, hospital restrictions or, or fear. Um, so I just wonder, like, what was, what was your biggest fear for your patients as you were going through the pandemic? My biggest fear was that while we had to utterly respect the unknowns that COVID brought to our ability to treat patients, that there was going to be an incredible amount of collateral damage that we would have to deal with uh, in the short, medium, and long term. Um, we, we rapidly realized that patients were not getting their scans on time, patients who would, were waiting for you know, their PET scans, their, their biopsies, our bronchoscopy wards were shut down because you know, they were generating theoretically aerosols. Uh, that, that was incredibly difficult for all levels of, uh, of, of testing for our patients. So that meant patients were coming even um, obviously with much more uh, you know, advanced diseases. Uh, our surgeons weren't able to follow patients properly. They were making, um, unfortunately, uh, decisions based on whether or not patients would get surgeries uh, in our hospitals because we were seeing hospital-acquired COVID infections upon patients who were getting operated on. Uh, so in some of our tumor boards, we were discussing, is it reasonable uh, for patients to get surgery, even if it meant that they wouldn't get their curative treatment? Um, it was almost a surreal experience having to decide who gets surgery and who doesn't. Um, and, and this is all because of our fear of what COVID might have might do. It would have been a shame for patients who would be normally well, come into the hospital, get COVID, and then ultimately die of a, of a, of a potential disease that would have been preventable. So it, I guess it was we very, should, very stressful. I guess I should remind people that of what you said right at the beginning, that your hospital was the hotspot in the city that was the hotspot, in the province that was the hotspot. So you were really almost sort of ground zero for Canadian um, Canadian COVID hospital. Um, and so your fears were not necessarily reflected in other places across the country, but did they come to fruition? Um, did those delays and people not getting surgeries and having to make these difficult decisions or were you able to actually get people through or refer them to a different center where um, things weren't qu quite as uh, pressured? 
So unfortunately, we were not able to transfer our care to other centers. And one of the things that we realized was the, the way that, um, that the COVID uh, triage, as, as uh, I could probably put it, uh, was set up was that it wasn't designed to transfer non-COVID cases from our hospitals to another. In fact, you know, a lot of our centers don't have thoracic surgeons. Uh, our thoracic surgeons cover the regional hospitals. So um, when, when we found uh, that our, our beds were filling up, we didn't have an outlet to transfer to another center. And in fact, it was quite discouraged uh, trying to transfer one patient to another, even for radiation. We had to be very, very, very mindful of not bringing COVID from our center to another center that, oh, and vice versa. So it was, it was a, it was a very uh, difficult time for us logistically trying to be able to plan cancer care because we didn't have the, 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 the resources that we would normally have, which are stretched even the best of times. Right. Now, have things improved? Luckily, uh, we, I would say that we came out relatively unscathed in, for the most part, um, though there were uh, instances where we, uh, you know, some patients refused adjuvant chemotherapy because uh, they didn't want to uh, risk, you know, contracting COVID with chemotherapy. That was one, some of the things that we discussed. Uh, we, we also had to have frank discussions with patients as to whether or not we would offer adjuvant chemotherapy because, you know, they, they were over 70 years old, uh, but they were getting a treatment that could perhaps, uh, you know, reduce their immune system. So these were, were something that we, we, we had to discuss and some patients, unfortunately, uh, relapsed uh, 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 sometime later. Um, and the other thing that we are starting to see now, we didn't see then because it was in the, in the middle of COVID, but now we're starting to see what I call the collateral damage of patients who didn't get their scans or there were long delays in getting their scans um, for newly diagnosed lung cancer. And now right. the lung cancer is more advanced. Actually, that was going to be my next question, uh, Kevin. Uh, I think we've been worried, uh, well, probably globally, you know, pro and professionals in, in cancer have been worried that there are people who have lung cancer or indeed any cancer and are walking around with that disease, but they don't know it yet because they've been fearful of seeking medical attention or they've not been able to get into the normal care with their family doctor etc um and you i think you're suggesting that you that's what you're seeing now is that is that right it, it's you know it, it's, it's easy to, to be an armchair uh, quarterback and, and say that we should have done things differently uh, initially you know you have to give into the context where we were just seeing these images from France and from Italy, you know, patients coming in and out of the, the, uh, the, the, the hospitals and, and body bags. And, and these were the images that stuck with us. And we were trying uh, as much as, our, as possible to avoid that. So I think that some of the decisions that were taken initially uh, in the very, very short term um, seemed reasonable. But when you look now with, with time and some, some, some distance, we, we realized that it was easy to shut down things initially, but to restart things up and, and be able to treat our patients adequately now, um, given the, the, the delays incurred by COVID, um, it's much more difficult. And I can, I can say from uh, a, a personal uh, point of view with my patients, it's, it's almost impossible now getting scans because of the delays uh, are, so, are so terrible. So knowing what's going on with my cancer patients today uh, on treatment, while I, while I would be able to follow them regularly, 
um, it's 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 almost um, a, a daily struggle trying to negotiate with radiology to see is my patient progressing is my patient doing well um, and, and so that that incurs a lot of stress for my patients right uh, and, and unfortunately it's uh, it's something that we have to deal with uh, now so Kevin I guess I'm gonna maybe come back to this point that you've really been in ground zero where maybe you've experienced the this um, uh, more dramatically than than any of us in the country and and in Ottawa for example for lung cancer actually we managed to keep going pretty well with chemotherapies and radiations and even surgeries to a degree and and, and those are being caught up um, going into the next six months and you know we're in a bit of a wave right now uh, and there may be more waves um, before you know this this passes with a vaccine or something else what sort of message of hope would you give or that you've learned and your institutions learned that things are going to be smoother going forward? I would say uh, that now that we have experienced the first wave and, and, and I would say that the first wave was brutal for us, but it was almost a, a good learning experience. Um, one, we have adopted a lot of measures that protect not only the patients, but the healthcare professionals. Uh, and, and one thing that I, I, I should, would be remiss to, to not mention is, um, while I'm, I'm the person being interviewed today, I, I have to acknowledge all of the healthcare professionals that were uh, involved in, in, in treating our patients during uh, the COVID uh, first wave. All the nurses, all the support staff, uh, I, I think you have to recognize that um, the amount of stress and anxiety that was induced the first round um, it was, was tremendous. And I think being able to get that first wave out of the way gave us a lot of um, perspective. I think that's the first thing. Um, so I, I think what one of the perspectives that we realize now was that things were not as bad as it could have been. And uh, I think a lot of the measures that we put in place um, has allowed us to be able to continue the cancer care the way it should be to a certain extent. Um, I can say that while we had a lot of fears that our, uh, our patients would be the most vulnerable in terms of pe people getting sick, uh, I can tell you that a lot of my patients and I treat a lot of lung cancer, uh, a lot of them were able to come out of the first wave uh, without getting infected, without being as sick as they thought they were. So I think one of the messages I would like to to, to transmit to, to people listening to this podcast is really um, don't let COVID ruin everything. You know, I think lung cancer is tough as it is. Uh, you have to deal with all the, the, the difficulties with the guilt at having lung cancer, the, the not being able to plan your future because of lung cancer. And then you add COVID, which adds a, another element of, of stress and anxiety, not being able to see your families the way you want. At least in Quebec, we're not we're not allowed to, to see family members if they don't live in the same house. Uh, so that adds a level, uh, a level of isolation that's, that's incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, you know, if I, if I can send the message that, um, that you're not alone and, and to, to reach out if you, if you need help. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, yeah, I, I would maybe um, like echo that. I think we've all learned a tremendous amount from the first wave, which means going into the second wave, we've, we, we've learned now how to be effective at when to use virtual visits and when 
when we need to see people in, in person. And, and as you were saying, you're now people are largely able to get all their treatments um, as, as we would like to give them. Um, you, you touched on, uh, you know, the, you know, people are dealing with lung cancer and now COVID with, which comes along and the restrictions in families, being able to visit and support. Um, you know, part of the care of our patients is includes the includes mental health, and um, which is sometimes being neglected in cancer care. And I wondered if you had a thought about uh, how we can do better, or what things you'd seen uh, to support people's mental health during this time. I think, you know, I'll, I'll probably uh, go back to, you know, a couple of uh, cases where I, uh, where, where, you know, I think nothing replaces human contact. I think that, that's one thing that I think that is a limitation of telemedicine. Uh, and, and just in my, my, my personal life, you know, it's not the same seeing people through a screen as it is seeing in, in person. And I think, you know, it, it's... I can only imagine what patients are, are going through uh, in terms of the stress and anxiety, um, feeling alone. Uh, and so I think, you know, to your point as to uh, the, 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 the mental uh, health issues that are, you know, uh, due to COVID, I, I think there has to be an acknowledgement that it, this is, you know, while we treat the physical disease, the mental disease is almost as important, if not more important in certain instances, that I think there should be investments and there should be uh, more um, discussion as to how we can reach out to people to make sure that they're not going through this alone. Uh, I, had, I had a couple of patients, unfortunately, who were, you know, in the first waves going through um, some of the palliative care uh, discussions and to be able to not have access to their families while we were having these discussions was incredibly difficult. Or even, you know, patients were coming in for a new diagnosis of lung cancer and they had to come in alone. They didn't have the support of, you know, the family members being there uh, for the first discussions about lung cancer or having, you know, a shoulder to cry on uh, when they needed it. And I think that, that was very, you know, something that, that I didn't necessarily appreciate as much when there wasn't COVID. Now I definitely appreciate now uh, because I, I, it's only that much more amplified and, and uh, evident. Uh, so right. I think if we can find a way to, to make sure that we have the resource, resources in place, that we have the support in place, whether it's through Lung Cancer Canada, whether it's through you know uh, a voice on the other side of the phone or, or finding ways to get people together just so that they can just maybe cry on a shoulder. I think that's something that you just don't um, put enough stock in, but I think it's important. Yeah, I think a lot of hospitals now are looking at sort of visitor policies um, in these particular situations of new diagnoses and, uh, and um, you know, you know try, trying to have uh, policies which uh, allow the hospital to maintain distancing, but still uh, demonstrate compassionate care. Um, a lot of psychosocial oncology programs are still, you know, running full programs, albeit virtually to support people. Like you said, uh, you know, organizations like Lung Cancer Canada and, and, and other uh, charities more locally can have resources um, in, in addition to, you know, family supports that exist. 
Kevin, could you tell me maybe a story or an example of how the restrictions and, and changes that were happening in the hospital affected your personal relationships with some of your patients? Uh, I, I think that's a it's a it's a great question. Um, I like to thank you know most oncologists and particularly you know thoracic oncologists who who have very very um, special relationships with patients and, and I do with mine uh, I, and 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 all phases of, of their their follow up and, and particularly towards the end of the journeys of certain patients you know I, I I think it's even more important that you know there's a certain personal relationship that 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 be put in place and and, and I think COVID you know, from a very, very tangible perspective affected that. And I have one story of a patient who was going towards the end of his journey. He was hospitalized for his lung cancer. Uh, the palliative court care homes were, were shut down because of COVID. So he had to spend uh, the end of his days in the hospital. But, you know, due to some of the restrictions that we had in place, we had cold zones, warm zones, and hot zones. And he was in a, in a warm zone and we had made in a, 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 an agreement that, you know, doctors in the cold zone couldn't go to a warm zone, which meant for me, uh, I couldn't go see him personally. Uh, and also because of the fact that we had restrictions on family members coming to the hospital, uh, his wife couldn't come see him uh, when, he, when he needed her most. Uh, and so uh, it, it was a very, very um, trying time, not only for me as a, as a physician, but as a person seeing how patients were sort of suffering alone. Uh, and, you know, when, when he passed away, I, I gave a call to his wife and, and she was telling me that she couldn't even get, you know, a hug from her, her sons uh, when she needed it most. So it was, I, 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 I cried, you know, there were there moments during this where I cried just because stories like these I knew were, were going on and were going on with some of my patients even now. Um, so it, it, these were, were the kind of stories I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember uh, probably for the rest of my life just how devastating COVID can be from just a, a, a mental aspect and, and, a, and a social aspect too. Thanks for sharing that story, Kevin. I, I, I think it, it maybe demonstrates a few things about just the, the horror that people are facing when they're going through something and, and not able to do it with all of their normal supports. Also, I would maybe argue reflects well on you as a compassionate physician and um, your patients, uh, I imagine are very fortunate that you're in their corner with uh, the, the uh, investment that you're, you're putting into that care. So uh, on behalf of them, maybe thank you. Thank you. Um, Kevin, I would thank you for this. I know it's sometimes uh, a lot of physicians feel a bit uncomfortable when they're thanked for being frontline workers and oncologists have felt uncomfortable because they kind of felt they haven't been so frontline as some of maybe our emergency department uh, colleagues and uh, nurses in the testing uh, centers. Um, but truly, Kevin, you, amongst uh, medical oncologists treating lung cancer in Canada, you, you truly have been a frontline worker with your shifts um, on the COVID unit and being in such a, a hotspot. So you know, kudos to you and, and thank you for sharing with the pod um, your experiences, which, you know, in, sound uh, on one level quite gloomy uh, about what you have seen and what your patients have gone through. But I think then the positive is 
coming out of what you were saying that has been learned and what we can apply to, to future waves. And I think maybe both of us would, would want to give the message out to people who are listening that if you do have symptoms that you're worried about, whether it's a cough that won't go away or you've coughed up some blood or you've got a new pain that you're worried about or you're feeling more out of breath, you know, do seek medical attention. The, the risk of an untreated uh, lung cancer or a lung cancer that's progressing or a side effect from a treatment is, is far likely to, to be more consequential to you than the, the risk of, of COVID, uh, where hospitals and, and society indeed now is, is so well set up for us to try and protect ourselves. So I think our message would be, if you don't feel very well, do seek medical attention. Don't be afraid, we are around and we are here to, to help. Our, our doors are open for business. Um, Kevin, any final comments before we, uh, before we close the pod? Uh, I have, well, first, thanks very much for the invitation um, and, and to echo a point that you, you, you mentioned, I think uh, I, I want to acknowledge really every healthcare professional uh, not just in Quebec, but across the country who've been uh, on the front lines. And I know that uh, uh, it's been something that has jostled and, and, and disrupted our lives um, in ways we could never have ever imagined. Um, but, you know, I think there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but to get through it, we have to get through it together. And, and, I, and I really would want to transmit the message that um, you know, life doesn't stop just because there's COVID around. I think there's there's ways of living our lives that are, are relatively normal, um, but you just need to have some hope. And, and I also want to echo the message that, um, you know, just because COVID's out there, just because, you know, there's a fear, it shouldn't stop you from getting the help that you deserve. Great. So thanks to Dr. Kevin Zhao from Montreal. Um, do look out for a couple more podcasts in this series that will go along with the Faces of Lung Cancer report. Uh, you, can, you can access that on the lungcancercanada.ca website. Uh, and please join us for another Lung Cancer Voices pod. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan on Twitter at lungcancer underscore can, and on Instagram at lungcancercanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.